want us to turn our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, and we'll start there quickly. But first, let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, God, thank you that you, Lord God, are the King and the King of kings, and we know you will return one day. And we know that our existence now is to live and to serve you and to bear fruit which glorifies and honors you through the strength of your spirit, not at all in the work of the flesh or the power of the flesh, which can do nothing good. Without you, Lord, we can do nothing. But you, Lord God, are working in us, working in us, in us, in us, in us, working as we study your word, as we pray. You work in our minds, you work in our hearts, and you cause us, Lord, to serve you and to even endure hardships and to learn that we are your servants here and now and we will be your servants in your kingdom forevermore. Help us to know it. Set our minds free with it. And help us to love you and serve you with all of our lives. I pray that your word would encourage us and teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you turn just for a moment before we go to Matthew to Colossians chapter 1? Colossians chapter 1. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 1. Ephesians records something similar to this, but... Colossians 1.1, the beginning of the book, starts, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae thus the name of the book, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth as you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. That's a very eloquent, powerful, and verbose way of saying, ever since we learned that God is at work among you and the gospel is bearing fruit, we have not stopped praying for you. Now, the next section in verse 9 He says what he prays for. I want you to see this. Because this is what Paul, the apostle's heart for the church is. And he's writing, I believe, revealing what God's heart for his church is. And he's also, I think, giving us an example of how we ought to pray for each other and what we ought to long for. Listen to this. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, heard what? Heard all the stuff that he just laid out. Do not cease to pray for you and to ask, what? That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. What a great thing to pray for. Dear Lord God, help my brothers and sisters in my church and in every church to be filled with the knowledge of your will. Where do we get that from? 
only place I know is the Bible. Every word, every page, every book. Did you know that there's not one... Listen, everyone look at me for a minute. Did you know that there's not one verse in the Bible that you are exempt from learning? Did you know that? I don't know how much you read and study. I don't know what you listen to. There's not one concept or passage or book or verse or statement in the Bible that any Christian is exempt from learning. Because while creation shows us the power of God, and Jesus is the revelation of the person of God, the Scriptures are the revelation of the mind and the will and the works and the plans and the person and every, everything. Everything you ought to know about God. There you go. God, our Redeemer, here it is. And when we make the decision that certain parts of it are not as important as others, which is nothing that any of us would ever say, but practically we play out in our lives, if we're honest, we've done something with God himself that he would rather we didn't do which is lay aside that which we can know about him. Here's Paul praying that I want them to be filled with the knowledge of your will. What he's really praying for is he wants them to know the Lord. Right? Go on. Verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. When's the last time you prayed that for somebody? Not, not because I'm good, because I'm not. I'm awful, I'm wretched. But I do pray that for you. A couple of times the last week or two, I even turned to this passage while I was praying and put it right in front of me. and just read through it and prayed it for everybody in my church. I pray it for my children, I pray it for my wife. Not that I recite it as prayer, but I get my mind on it and I say, amen, yes, Lord, for the people of Fellowship Bible Church, for my wife, for my son, for my daughter, for my daughter's boyfriend, for everybody that I know who loves you. It goes on. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Right? So now he's praying for strength. He was praying for knowledge, spiritual understanding, wisdom, a worthy walk, a walk that pleases God, fruitfulness, increasing in the knowledge of God, strength, which is not in the person himself, but is what? According to his glorious power. That was God, by your power, strengthen these brothers and sisters. For what? Why do we need strength? For all patience and long-suffering with joy. That's why we need strength. Because life is full of tasks and situations and seasons which require us to be patient and to suffer long. And God's praying, the prayer here, the heart is, I want them to have the strength they need to do that, not just to tough it out with a frown on their face, but with joy. How can you go through hard stuff with joy? I'll tell you how. When you know that what God is doing is allowing work in you because this temporary life is going to pass, but he's preparing you to be strong because you're going to serve in his kingdom. You want me to prove it? Say yes. Now look. 
Look what it says. Look what it says next. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He's delivered us from the power of darkness. Look at this. He's conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Wow. That's why Paul's praying this, because you've been ripped out of the kingdom of this world, and you've been placed in the kingdom of the Son of His love. Hallelujah. We're subjects in a kingdom. When you got saved, you went from the kingdom of the condemned lost world into the kingdom of God, which hasn't been in its fullest form established in the earth yet. It will when our Lord and Savior comes back. But you're in it. You're in it now and you'll be in it forever. And he loves you so much that he will allow you to suffer and he will allow you to go through hardship. He will supply by his spirit, strength, encouragement, knowledge of his will, knowledge of his word to know him. He'll supply through the spirit by his grace everything that you need to endure that hardship. But he loves you so much that he allows you to go through difficult and hard things and endure them now because he's building you to make you strong to serve in that kingdom of his son which we will abide in forever and ever amen liberation there's a political platform for you democrats say this republicans say that Jesus says, I will make you free forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and you will be with me forever. And I'm going to work on you. I'm going to work on you right now and I'm going to get you ready for that. When you view this life as kingdom preparation, chains fall off. That's what the truth does. It sets you Free. Hardship, difficulty, struggling, disease, death. We all know people, even have passed through the doors of this church in my tenure as pastor who have been sick and suffered and died. Some of them died with faith that is so amazing. They died and you could tell that they had the grace of God present in their lives. And and they struggled temporally and they suffered through pain. But their faith in God did not waver because God supplied the strength. And you know what? In supplying that strength and in allowing him to endure that hardship, he has prepared them for eternity in his kingdom. And the suffering they endured in this life isn't going to matter. The tears that the suffering caused them and others around them, God will wipe away and they will be remembered no more because this life is about kingdom, 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 kingdom. Let's be Christians who look ahead. Seems silly to say this now, but turn to Matthew chapter 20. Okay, now I'll start the sermon. Here we go.
No, that was all part of it. We get some kingdom words from Jesus today. Ready? Matthew chapter 20 and verse 17. Watch this. Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify, and the third day he will rise again. Okay, right? Then what? Here comes James and John's mom. The mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. He said to her, what do you wish? The always gregarious, wonderful Jesus. She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. What's profound about Christ's answer? What didn't he say? Correct. He didn't say no and he didn't say yes. He said, you don't, you don't understand what you're asking, which is something different, isn't it? Why? Because we need to understand the kingdom. You don't know what you're asking. He eventually goes on to say, that's not even mine to give. It's my father's who's going to sit on my right hand, who's going to sit on my left. That's my father's to give. Well, let me just go on and read it. You don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? What's that? That's verses 17 through 19. That's how the conversation started. 17 through 19, that's the cup that he was about to drink and the baptism that he was about to be baptized with. They said, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and sit on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it is prepared by my Father. You see, the kingdom is not about, well, I'm with Jesus, so give me my throne! The kingdom is about faith. It's about God's grace. It was about what Jesus was about to accomplish in order to save them. But then as they lived, it was about being baptized. Not in water, but baptized in life as a servant of God because he was preparing them for life in his kingdom. See, mom, and you got to love mom. That's what good moms do, right? Moms want the best for their sons and their daughters. Moms want the best. So she goes to Jesus. She gets down on her knees, right? Worshipful, reverent. Jesus doesn't. I don't think when he says, you don't know what you ask, I don't think there's like, you don't know what you No, it's not like that. I think he just, just very, I think he just very kindly, I think he just very kindly, wow, that taught, that, 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 that taught, you've heard that voice somewhere before because that touched some people. Um, look, he was being very kind and he was correcting her and her sons and us because they had to go through what inevitably they were going to go through. Not to save them. Salvation is by God's grace through faith. But then you've you've inevitably at some point in your Christian life thought to yourself, well, why doesn't God just take us home now? Right? 
I mean, if, if it's done, and this, why doesn't God just take me home now? Because he's not done working on you yet. And, that's, and maybe that sounds like a cliche, flippant answer, but it's absolutely true. You're here because he's doing work in you. He wants to, as Paul prayed for, he wants to supply that strength in the spirit so you can endure hardships because he's preparing you. He's preparing you to be strong in his kingdom, not a spaghetti noodle. And listen, and listen, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what we're going to do, what the tasks are going to be. But I know this, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of unrighteousness. I know that. And so if my job someday in the kingdom of God is to stand there and hold doors for people, then I'm going to do it with all my strength. And he's getting me ready to do it now. I don't know what he's going to have me do. We're going to do something. And he loves us. He loves his church. Hey, married couples fellowship this Friday night. What's marriage a picture of? Christ and his church. You know what it says in the passage in Ephesians about marriage? It says, husbands, love your wives the way that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And it goes on to say that he purifies her. He wants to make her without spot and blemish. I'm paraphrasing, but so that she might be presented a glorious bride. That's what he's doing. He's preparing us. He's preparing the bride for the wedding day. That's what this life is, right? That's why we're called to be faithful. Hey, that's why the road is described as narrow and difficult and one that very few find. I'm telling you, the Christian understanding that says, I believe in Jesus, and now I'm going to spend my life having as much fun as I possibly can, avoiding some of the grossest sins of the world, perhaps, but listen, there's no power in any of that. What is that? God is preparing his true children to be the gatekeepers and the doorkeepers and the judges and whatever else the word describes in his kingdom. And he is preparing some to sit on thrones. Maybe James and John will sit on thrones. Do you know what happened to them? They were baptized with the baptism that Jesus was baptized with. Almost out of nowhere in the book of Acts, we're told that Herod put James, that's one of the two of them, put him to death with the sword. No fanfare. You're just reading along in the book of Acts and all of a sudden... One of the descendants of Herod comes along, the current Herod, and has James killed. And he's getting ready to do the same to Peter. But God wasn't done preparing Peter. He was done preparing James. Why did, why did Stephen get stoned to death? God was done preparing him. Come on, come home. Come on, come home. Jesus rose out of his seat to receive Stephen. Right? Stephen, when he was dying, said, I see the Son of Man standing, not sitting, standing at the right hand of the power on high. Right? What happened to John? Exile. On a lonely, dirty, hot, sweaty rock called Patmos. Allowed him to be exiled there where he probably died. Jesus met him there gave him what we call the book of Revelation. He was preparing them. Even as he was using them there, he was preparing them for his kingdom. 
That gives me so much hope. Do you know that these thoughts make me, um, listen, you're going to think this is crazy when I say this, but these thoughts make me feel like I can face anything. Because there are days that like, like I wake up in the morning and I just like feel like a sense of like dread and I feel like, man, what is going to happen today? But when I think about this, it makes me feel like I can get up and face anything. Because even the difficulties and the troubles in my life, God has his grip on them. And he's using them for some purpose that I can't understand and can't see. But the test of my faith is to believe. Believe. Yes, Lord, you have some reason, some purpose for this. And then someday, I'll be in his kingdom by his grace. And maybe I'll hold the door as my brethren walk in and out. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. But he's preparing me for something. Verse 24 says, When the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Right? Why? Because their minds were here. How dare he ask such a thing? Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What happens in this passage of Scripture? with the little time I have left. There's three sections. There's three points, and they go by fast. In the first few verses, in 17 through 19, Jesus tells them what's about to happen to him. Then, in verses 20 through 23, he describes what's going to happen to them. And then, in the rest of the verses, he describes what he expects of servants in his kingdom. Simple as that. Here's what's going to happen to me. Here's what's going to happen to you. And here's what I expect of you. That's basically the whole passage, right? What's in that first little paragraph? Well, a description of what Jesus was about to go through, right? He was preparing them. He's always He's always preparing us. He's always working on us. He's always preparing us because he loves us. He's always preparing us. We're going to Jerusalem, and I want you guys to know, here's what's going to happen. We've gone to Jerusalem every year together for the last three years. This time when we go, here's what's going to happen. Going up to Jerusalem, he says, Behold, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. They'll condemn him to death. They'll deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. Do we even grasp what a blessing it is that God gave his son and that Jesus did what he did. You ever come to prayer? This is all part of God preparing you as well. But you ever come to prayer and you're before the Lord in your room 
by your bed, at your table, in your office, in your car, whatever you do. But you're before the Lord and you're praying and you find, here I need to confess that again. How can God even hear me if I'm doing that again? I just, I don't even feel like I have any right to pray because of this or that or this or that. Do we even grasp what it is that Jesus did? Listen, when Jesus went through all of this and suffered and died for us, he took the righteous penalty for all of that, whatever that is. He took it all. And when you put your faith in him, that sacrifice and the effectiveness of that sacrifice he made was supernaturally applied to you. The perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. You have a bank app and you ever transfer funds from one account to another? Here's what God did. God took out, not to be trite about this, but God took out his super powerful cell phone and he transferred the righteousness of Jesus Christ to you. That's, except for the cell phone part, that's really what happened. The Bible says that he imputed his righteousness to us. And so when you go before the Lord to pray, and when you come before the Lord to worship, listen, every stain has been washed away. Every sin has been purged. Every foul thought Every foul word, through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been forgiven, we have been redeemed, we have been justified, we have been declared by God to be righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's done and it's permanent. It can't change. Jesus came and died for our sins once. Listen, and the number of people who are in the kingdom of God who were on the earth at the time that Jesus was here is like a drop in the bucket compared to the number of people that are going to be in his kingdom, right? For the vast majority of us, Jesus, and us who live today, obviously, Jesus died for our sins completely outside of our knowledge. We didn't even exist yet. And therefore, it must be, and it cannot be anything else other than when Jesus died for our sins, that when we believe on him and are reconciled to God and have the forgiveness of sins, that is done and that is permanent. And so when I come before the Lord, listen, I battle and I struggle and I have things that make me think, well, how could God, how could God have me be his child? How could God have me be his servant? How can God give me a place in his kingdom? How can God make me be a pastor? I'll tell you how. Let me tell you how. The Son of Man was betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. They condemned him to death, delivered him to the Gentiles. They mocked him, scourged him, and crucified him. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead. And all of my sins were nailed there with him. And I have, and though I do not say this cavalierly, I say it regretfully, but even sins that I haven't committed yet. And I don't want to. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. That's what I want. 
but I sense that it's inevitable that I'm going to fail again at some point. But Christ died and took it all away. And I want with every fiber of my being to live in perfect righteousness before him, but I know that I can't. And so you know what I've got? I've got his grace. That's what I've got. I've got his grace that is greater than anything I've done, anything that I'm yet going to do. It's not a license for me to go out and sin. I desperately want to walk in righteousness. Do we appreciate what Jesus did? When you go before the Lord to worship and to pray, you do it in the freedom which God has given you. You do it in the perfect liberty from the scourge and the penalty of his law because Jesus took that penalty and took that scourge for you. Hallelujah. Do you see the progression of his suffering? You see how he suffered for us? There's layers of it. He was betrayed. That is, he was betrayed by one of his own disciples to the religious leaders who wanted him dead. Then he was betrayed again. They handed him over. Their Messiah was handed over to Pilate, the Roman governor. Then they mocked him. Then they scourged him. Vicious. All of that was just to get him to the cross. And then he was crucified, which in addition to being barbaric, extreme, and cruel, shameful, was something that was something that Jesus was the last person who ever existed should have experienced. One more question on this little part of the passage. I ask, do we, do we grasp what he really did? Do we truly understand and appreciate how he suffered for it? But then here's the third part of that. Do we look forward and upward? Did the passage end where I just left off? What's it say? And on the, on, the, on and the third day he will rise again. The third day he will rise again. Jesus just didn't just describe his suffering. He also described his triumph, didn't he? Didn't he? He described his glory and his triumph. Hey, listen, man. I don't know if this, I don't know if this jazzes you or not. Listen, I want to know God. I want to worship God. I want to love God. I want to be thankful to God. I want to endure whatever he's going to allow to be thrown my way because he's getting me ready for something. And I'm telling you right now, Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended back to heaven and he's there in heaven now and he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he is just waiting for his Father to say, go get your bride. Where's your mind? Shouldn't your mind be on his kingdom? Shouldn't your mind be on your future? Shouldn't your mind be on what the Lord has for you in the future? Well, so then in the second part of this, so the mother of Zebedee's sons come, and I kind of explained all this already. I realize I'm sort of going through it a second time, but there's a couple points I wanted to make here about kingdom preparation, right? What he said 
when he said, you don't know what you ask, and then turned to the sons and said, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? What he's saying is what? Are you really ready for that? Are you really ready for that? To sit on thrones? Well, it's not mine to give. Listen up, everybody. Listen, listen, listen. It's not mine to give to sit on thrones. But are you even really ready for what it is that you're asking for? You've got some stuff to go through here first. You're going to serve me. I'm going to use you to preach my gospel. I'm going to use you to build my church. I'm going to use you to reach other people. You're going to worship. You're going to serve. You're going to pray. You're going to learn. You're going to grow closer and closer. You're going to go deeper and deeper in the knowledge of God, and you're going to suffer while you do it. And one of those brothers, as I said, suffered an unjust execution. The other one suffered an unjust exile. So many passages of Scripture come to mind and come to light. I had a few I was going to read to you, but I'll just read two, okay? There are a lot of passages of Scripture that do what I'm about to explain to you. Really quickly, keep your finger there. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. 2 Timothy 4, 1. And here's a passage of Scripture that I've quoted verbatim many times from my pulpit here. But there's a nuance that I don't know that I've ever enunciated in talking about it. I've noticed it, but I've never, I don't know if I've ever like, pointed this out. But on the subject matter here, it, it sticks out like, I want to say a sore thumb, but... <laughs> Yeah, it just pops off the page. Maybe that's better. Well, you know chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17, right? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So he describes how every word of Scripture comes straight from the Lord. God breathed, given by inspiration of God. Every word, every word, every word of Scripture then is useful to teach and to correct and to rebuke and to teach people righteousness so that we're thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's the purpose of the Word of God in teaching it and studying it and learning it. No, it's why you want to know the whole book, everything about it, because it says all Scripture, not portions of Scripture, not the passages that you like, not the passages that like don't bore you or whatever. Listen, all Scripture given is breathed out by God to train you up. But it's not, but it's not just training up for here and now. You see chapter 4 and verse 1? Look at this. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at the appearing of his kingdom. So the apostle Paul, and then he makes the charge. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Goes on to explain the time will come when people aren't going to want to listen to it anymore. But you just go right on, and you go right on preaching and teaching. But do you see, before he gives the charge to preach the word, he uses as the backdrop. He uses as the motivation for preaching the word. He uses as the authority, the real power and force behind the command to preach the word is what? Jesus is coming and he's going to appear in his kingdom. You preach the word, be instant in season and out of season because the king is coming and he's going to bring his kingdom. He's going to establish his kingdom and he's going to appear. You see, the purpose of the word of God is not just to be interesting to us and, and it's, not even just, it's not even just to inform us. It's to prepare us to be proper subjects in his kingdom. 
Timothy, preach it all the time because Jesus is coming back in his kingdom. It's a kingdom issue. One more. Another famous passage of scripture that has this nuance to it. Galatians chapter 5. Turn there. Galatians chapter 5. How are y'all doing? Y'all with me today? Y'all good? Everybody good? Everybody, everybody want everybody, everybody happy if you're in Christ to be a subject in his kingdom? Is that are you thankful for that? Are you grateful for that? Are every, everybody grateful that Jesus the King is coming back? Do you know the Bible says that every eye is going to see him when he comes, even those who pierced him? Do you know that literally, and this sounds like fantasy to the world and they mock it, but the, 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 the disciples stand, not disciples, the angels standing there when Jesus literally lifted off planet earth and flew into the clouds, stood there and said, see that? Just like you see him go, that's how he's going to come back. And if you study like the prophets in the Old Testament, Zechariah, he's not only going to come back just like that, he's going to come back to the exact same spot that he launched off from. And he's going to set his feet on it, and it's going to split in half. You happy about that? You happy about that? You're blessed. If you're in Christ, you're blessed. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. Everybody knows this. The works of the flesh are evident, right? He's trying to talk to them about how they should walk in the spirit and not walk in the flesh. Be filled with God's spirit, be led by God's spirit, and produce a life that is controlled by God's spirit. Don't walk in the flesh. So he says, here's what the works of the flesh are. They're evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not, will not what? Inherit the kingdom. Will not inherit the kingdom. Thank you. On the other hand, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. No law against any of that. Those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so if we live in the Spirit, which we do, then let's walk in it too. Right? You see? See, the, the issue of the fruit of the Spirit, even that is a kingdom issue. People who don't have the Spirit in them and produce just carnal, fleshly fruit will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, he's preparing people in this world to inherit and inhabit and serve in his kingdom. The gospel is the first line of preparation. It is the only thing, the only way to become a subject in the kingdom of God is by his grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And once you believe and you have received his spirit, you are sealed and you are in and then it is done. But then you live out this life. And as you live out this life, he is working in you to produce this fruit, to prepare you to be 
a subject in his kingdom, not living like, not, it's not talking about if I do this, I'm saved, and if I don't do this, I'm not saved. Don't read that into that. That's not at all what this is about. What this is about is if you're in Christ, walk by the Spirit and produce this fruit, stop living like the world that does this, 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 and this, and will never inherit God's kingdom. If you're an inheritor of God's kingdom through grace and faith in Jesus Christ, live like one. How do you do that? Not in your own power, not in your own flesh. You do that by being filled with his spirit and being guided by his spirit. You fill up on the knowledge of the word of God. You fill up on prayer. You know, at some point in your life when you first became a Christian, some smart Christian came along and said to you, you know what, you ought to read the Bible every day and you ought to pray every day. I've been saved over 30 years. It does not change. The only thing about it that changes is the need for it. The sense of the need for it is, in, is, is heightened and intensified. I get up here, and if I haven't spent proper time praying and preparing and studying and thinking about God's word beforehand, I have any idea what I'm doing. But man, when I get in the spirit, and he leads me up, I know there's nothing special I know there's nothing special about me. I know I'm probably painful to look at and listen to, and, and again, week after week after week, year after year after year, but, but you know what? I know that he's working in me. That's all that matters. That's all that matters is that he's feeding us, and he's speaking to us, and he's challenging us, and he's encouraging us. You know, I, I hope you see these words today as chain breakers. That's what it is to me. It shows me that the struggles and the battles that I go through life in life are not pointless. The struggles and the battles that I go through in life are not evidences that God has forgotten me or God has cast me aside. They're evidences that he's more with me because he's preparing me. He's preparing me to be strong. And boy, do I need to get strong and stronger because man, am I weak. But he's preparing He's, 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 pure. he's showing me wrong ways that you think, wrong ways that you feel, wrong ways that you act. And he allows me to suffer through things. Because one day, when I'm free from this corrupt, sinful mass of flesh, and I'm going to be more free than you because my sinful flesh is bigger than yours, Jesus said he was forgiven much, loves much, right? So, so, look, he's preparing me because one day when the sin and the struggle and the, the trial and the hardship and the suffering and the persecution, one day when the devil isn't roaming around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour anymore. That day is coming too, by the way. That's also part of his kingdom. No more roaring, no more roaming lions. Right? I see now that, I see now that when he allows me to struggle, there's a point. There's a point. He has a reason. He has a purpose. He loves me. He really does. He really, he really, he really knows you. And he really loves you. Even your own mistakes. 
even the hardship that's the result of your own doing. Gosh, he loves us with a love that's like, that's like aware of little nuances of my existence that I don't even notice. And he bears with me. So, to finish this up, you know what's amazing is that verse at the end of the passage. The ten hear it. They're displeased. Jesus says, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. That is to say, leadership in the world, that's how it goes, right? It's more kingdom preparation. Here's what I expect of a servant in my kingdom. In every other kingdom, the leaders lord their authority over everyone else. Do this or suffer. Do that or suffer. Do this or you're out. Do this or you're in prison. Do this or you're dead. Do this or you're fined. Whatever. Here come the magistrates. Here come the authorities. Here come the whatever, right? The rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Those who are, of, who are great exercise authority over them. And actually, God ordains that power. I mean, even civil authority is ordained by God to be used. So he's not repudiating that or saying it's bad. But he is saying this, not so in my kingdom. You know why? Because in God's kingdom, see, among the kingdom of men, there's a need for that. In the kingdom of God, there's God. And so he's all that. He's your all in all. Right? Like we sang. And so what it says is, not so. It shall not be so among you, subjects in my kingdom. Whoever desires to be great among you. And he said this already. Remember, remember he took the little kid and put the kid in the middle? Say, you want to be great? You become like this little kid. Here it is again. Whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In the last part of that verse, it seems like it's an evangelistic call. Oh, that's wonderful. Jesus came to gave his, give his life as a ransom for many. And it is. However, it's not who he's talking to, is it? No. What he's doing is he's not saying that because he's trying to woo sinners to salvation. He's trying to say that because he's trying to woo his own disciples to service. That's the point of it. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And here's my service. You know, in addition to things like washing their feet and all that stuff, he gave his life. That was his service. And he says, you want to be great in my kingdom? You want to sit on two thrones next to me? Here's what I did. I became the servant of everybody. He's preparing us for his kingdom. That's how you get prepared for that kingdom. Because you know what you're going to do in that kingdom? You're going to serve him. I'm going to close my message today the same way the Bible closes. By pointing ahead to all this. Turn to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22 and verse 1. Thank you for your patience in listening today. I close with this. Revelation 22 and verse 1. 
he showed me a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. And on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Here comes, here's, here's his platform. Here's his party's platform. Here's his kingdom. There will be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his, ready? His servants shall serve him. That's where we're going. Unless we're the privileged generation that gets to live to see it come, then it's coming to us. But, but that's where we're going. We're going to a place where there's no more curse. And as his servants, we will serve him forever. He loves you and he is preparing you for that now. He's broken every chain and there's salvation in his name. Jesus Christ, our living hope. Jed, Amy, uh, Jed and Fanny today, right? Jed, Fanny, come lead us.